You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1035 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. With only 95 calories, do what's this carb? It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Today's podcast will be my first deep dive with a guest into the NBA draft for this year through a Hawks lens. And I'm joined in a moment by PD Webb, who you can find at Above the Break 3 on Twitter. PD is one of the smartest people in the draft Twitter atmosphere, knows all kinds of stuff about the NBA, about the college level. He scouts the amateur circuits, high school stuff, uh, EYBL, Under Armour, Nike. It doesn't matter what you're looking for, PD watches it, and you could definitely find all of his stuff on Twitter, as we'll talk about throughout our two-part, by the way, two-part interview with myself and PD. This is only part one. Part two will be coming tomorrow, but I can't stress enough. He's been on this podcast before, and I trust PD in a big way um, from a scouting perspective and all of that stuff to put things in context, etc. So you're in for a treat on that. Uh, elsewhere, not a whole lot going on with the Hawks. Uh, the big news in the, in the NBA slash basketball world is that Team USA is now 0-2 in their last three days in exhibition play against Australia and Nigeria. Some pretty crazy stuff there, and I have to comment, as Hawks fans have been pointing out for quite some time, Trey Young, not on the roster. They could probably use Trey Young right now to have someone that can drive and uh, penetrate and sort of break, break down defenses. Uh, certainly, I've certainly noticed that. I know Hawks fans have as well. So uh, there you go. On that, that's sort of the biggest story. Other than that, not too much going on. Obviously, the NBA Finals rolling along here at 2-1 as I'm recording this in favor of Phoenix. Milwaukee winning Game 3. But in terms of Hawks stuff, not a ton going on right now. We're still all awaiting injury news on Bogdanovich, etc. Nothing has really broken in the last few days, so that's the latest on that. I will plug this real quickly. I did a solo episode on Sunday evening into Monday about the NBA draft, sort of my own philosophy, some bullet points on what the Hawks are looking at, and that's still very, very relevant at this point in time. But again, this is part one with PD. We'll have part two coming up tomorrow and uh, some pretty, pretty good depth, I think, on these two podcasts. All right, before we get to PD, though, a word from our sponsors, and it is now time to reveal our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week this time around. Obviously, the Hawks are not playing right now, there hasn't been huge news to hit on with players, so this is a bit of a stretch in some respects, but somehow I will get there, and I promise you. And really, one player is a big part of my solo podcast on Monday, and he has to be a lot of uh, context with regard to the Hawks throughout this draft season. That player is, is Onyeka Okongwu. So last year's number six overall pick, Okongwu had a huge role by the end of the year for Atlanta as a backup point guard. And you could see that his he was sort of a top-tier prospect, obviously, last year. I liked that pick a lot when it happened. He was flashed a lot of that considerable upside throughout the playoffs. He projects as a pretty foundational piece for the Hawks as a young two-way big man with his versatility, his defense, his finishing around the rim, his touch, etc. And he also makes it to where, at least for me, the Hawks pretty much can't take a one-position center at 20 in the draft. So um, he'll be a big factor moving forward. Also, he'll be playing summer league, etc. So he'll be in the consciousness quite a bit over the summer. And uh, obviously a lot of really, real intrigue there. I'm excited to see him in that setting. Obviously he didn't get to play last year with no summer league. So Akongwu is in the middle of the conversation as he was the most recent draft pick, etc. And uh, I think it's fitting. And I think Hawks fans are very, very excited to see him play. And I would echo that sentiment in a big way next season. 
Are you happy because you win? Do you win because you're happy? 95 calorie show with Tiscar is only worth it if you enjoy it. In the end, joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is Anyaka Akangwu. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the folks at Theragun. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone who is not an elite athlete like me. You're just trying to make it through the day with tension-free activities. Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. You and the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun has also been awesome for me, uh, trying to relieve some tension from hovering over the, over the computer all day long and being stiff and all of that. It's been a godsend through that prism. And honestly, you should use it because I use it and uh, you absolutely should too to be relaxed and help you feel better. Theragun is also trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers in addition to me. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. I am joined now by someone I believe to be very smart in the NBA draft space and a previous guest on this podcast, PD Webb is here. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be back in a very different circumstance than the last time. We were talking optimism and I was like, hey, this team might be like, not in the lottery next year and uh i was right just not for you know the reasons that mattered yeah i mean they're not in the lottery that's uh that's for sure and as i said before i brought you in you know it's very strange for me to start this to basically start nba draft podcasting two and a half weeks or so before the draft but that's the spot where you're in where the hawks go to the conference finals in the short cycle that is this year so thank you for joining me as the first sort of major kickoff guest that i'm having um and sort of an on-brand fashion, I'm actually going to start on a non-Hawks topic because uh, I haven't had a chance to talk about the top of the draft with anybody. So I promise you, Hawks fans, we're not going to do too much on the top, top, top of this class. But right now, I want to start there. So uh, my first question to you on the draft, PD, is uh, number one, it's sort of a two-parter. Number one, is Cade number one by himself? And if not, who is the guy who can challenge him? So old habits die hard, huh? You, yeah. The one year you escape the lottery, you just can't help but get into the, the minutia. L- listen, I mean, I, I promise it's going to be quick, but I, I have to ask this because I, I've talked about this with a lot of people, but not on a podcast. So here we are. Okay. I mean, I, I love talking about it. I just figured you'd be like, well, you know, we're a little too good for it these days and just move into, you know. They'll hang around. Listen, I, I hope Hawks fans will hang in, the, hang in through this conversation. And listen, it's still interesting to talk about Kate Cunningham. It's not like he's like this off the radar pro- prospect that's not fun to talk about. Yeah, so uh, for me, Cade's one. Uh, Cade's been one for three years now. Um, the the conversation around Cade is really interesting because, you know, he's uh, you know six foot eight, about like two thirty, strong guy. Um, he was put in like the two most different contexts imaginable from a pre-draft perspective. His high school team, Montford, um, was a well-oiled death machine, and he didn't really have to have any kind of like awesome usage he just made the right decisions he made fantastic defensive rotations and they would be teams by like 60 they would be you know state title teams by 60 70 80 points 
um, because they had you know three lottery picks on the team plus a couple more coming in the next couple of years. And then he got to college, and basically none of that was true. Um, he got put into a situation at, at Oklahoma State where he the right read didn't net out the proper result. So, you know, um, it was a lot more uh, solution-oriented problem-solving instead of process-oriented, which was very much the, the case for his, his on-ball decisions at, at Montford. And I could not have been happier that he chose Oklahoma State because I got to see him answer a lot of uh, questions that probably wouldn't have been revealed if you were in a situation, you know, like in Zaka or even like Florida state or something like that. Um, he had to shoot off. He had to shoot off the dribble. He had to create, you know, versus a loaded up defense every single time down. Um, you can look at, at, you know, numbers like assist to turnover ratio or assist percentage, and, and they might come up a little bit lackluster, but when you dive into read by read, he's still trying to balance the idea of like making the perfect decision every time, but also that like, if he doesn't make the decision, the net results, the team's going to lose. Um, I think that his jump from he shot nine percent from three uh, in the like seven game Team USA U nineteen sample, and then he shot over forty percent as a uh, as a freshman. Super heavy usage where like you you shoot thirty four percent on the diet that he was shooting. Like you're you're a very good shooter. He went from a bad shooter to a fantastic shooter, maybe one of the ten best shooters in the draft when you consider broad versatility. Um, in about an 18 month span. And the idea that like, he's not uh, an interesting prospect or a prospect that's like, like really, really exciting and, and uh, extremely valuable is pretty crazy to me, but that's not to say that these other guys, um, Evan Mobley and Jalen green would be like my two and three sort of interchangeably depending on team need, um, are like not, I mean, Evan Mobley is, um, is a player who was raised to be a point guard and he's seven feet tall. Um, he, <laughs> like he, he process, he, he has a rep of being like a, an, an introverted kind of like, you know, you get questions about like, does he have a passion for the game? And I think that's always a thing that like for big guys, who you can see are like intellectualizing the game. Like they're thinking two moves ahead. There's not like, you know, brute strength smashers. They're always gonna be like, well, he seems soft. It's like, well, if you can do perfect defensive rotation. doesn't matter if you're, you know, hard or soft. If you can close down, you know, 18 feet in two strides, which I've seen him do. He drop stepped from the like from the paint to contest a three in two steps and almost blocked it. And uh, it's not just a player who processes the game really well with insane movement skills um, and you know uh, a almost perfect uh, frame that you would want for like the ability to, to move in space. Uh, as an offensive player who who flashes, you know, four or five different dynamics, you know, he has a, a, a like a mid post game that he loves to turn around that people just can't get to. Um, he can run pick and roll and, you know, short roll off pick and roll. Um, the jumper looks really good. He doesn't take it at a really high volume. Um, and that's a in a in a normal draft, that would be a number one prospect. Uh, in a normal draft, your Jalen Green could be a number one prospect, uh, you know, sort of your throwback 90s shooting guard slasher um if he gets two feet in the paint um somebody's going to end up on sports center um really really prolific score another you know long-term shooting development capable of shooting in multiple contexts uh, really developed off the dribble and the shot creation um has passing chops but maybe not necessarily as a primary i like him you know as a guy who doesn't have to make a ton of decisions and can just focus on um on causing as much havoc for a defense as possible instead of having to, you know, take the tray role where you're, you know, the primary decision maker and the, the primary usage carrier. Um, 
they're all, I think, fantastic prospects. And then, you know, after that, it gets really team specific. You know, four through about 20 is very interchangeable in this draft. And if you talk to 10 different people, you get 10 different orders. And like some of the orders will be wildly different. Like you can find people who think like Alperin Shangun, the uh, the big man from um, from Turkey, is you know a top five prospect to talk to other people. Jalen Johnson, who played like fourteen games at Duke, is a you know top five prospect to talk to other people um, who give you Keon Johnson or Jaden Springer from Tennessee. Um, and then you know there's the the real uh, uh, I would say passing nerds who would give you somebody like uh, Sharif Cooper um, in in the in the top five just for the ability to, to leverage defense. So this draft more than any is going to be um, for trades and for, for team building really hard to predict on who falls and, and who stands around uh, for, you know, the, the pick uh, that the Hawks have. Yeah. I think that that all tracks. And as someone who I think all I've done in the public space on this class is a couple of mock drafts for dime that I was asked to do. And that requires me to call around to my uh, my Rolodex of people and my limited interactions uh, track what you're saying. Like there's not a lot, there's not a lot of consensus. I think most people have the top three that you said and maybe Suggs, and then there's a pretty uh, pretty wide split from there. Uh, you know, Scotty Barnes is a guy people like, and uh, there's all kinds of names. But it's really going to be fascinating. And that you know, you know, the Hawks not being done, done until 20 makes life easier and harder. And like. I think there are probably, you know, eight to 10 guys where I'd be pretty stunned if they actually got to 20, but that's only eight to 10 guys. Like, I think the list would normally be a little bit longer than that. And maybe you disagree, but I feel like I have a hard time getting beyond that many to where I'm comfortable, you know, flat out projecting that they won't be there for the Hawks just because of, you know, not that the Hawks couldn't trade up for something like that, but there's only, I made a list last night and talked about it on Monday's podcast. Like, I think my list is like nine or 10 guys. Yeah, uh, it would be one thing if it were just the draft class alone, but also how the lottery fell with so many teams not moving up and having double picks. You can almost yeah. guarantee trades happening as well. Almost so, certainly. Like Orlando, for instance, like, uh, you know, they are in this weird spot where they kind of need high end talent, but now they have these two picks and they're not in the top four. And I don't know. Yeah, it's to your point. I think there's going to be some chaos. Yeah. And so um, I often get asked, like, hey, what do you think is going to happen at like seven? I'm like, seven? Like, I can't even get two to four. Is that the, that um, seven's, seven's the Warriors, and the Warriors could do anything that they possibly could yeah. do at this point. <laughs> they, yeah. Speaking of teams that I are mean, wide open, the Warriors. It's it's going to be, I think, the I, once the lottery came out, I said that this is going to be as a wild of a draft as, as like the year that Serge Ibaka got dealt to the Magic, where um, you know your phone just lit on fire from Woj updates. We were like, why, Ser- why Serge Ibaka played for the Magic, which is something to remember for people. Um, that's just that was an error that happened in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, the Victor Oladipo, Oklahoma City uh, Thunder Guard, that, you know, that epoch that... That is... also happened. <laughs> oh, I wanted to make sure I ask you. These, these are two very, very lazy questions, um, and I apologize for them in advance. Uh, one's about the top, and then one's about um, who you have four or five, if I had to make you choose. So my one at the top is uh, kind of where, where would Cade and also Green and Moby slot in terms of recent picks like I guess maybe even compared to last year like are is Cade a level above everybody you had in the class last year because you know there was at one point last year in the cycle there was this I'm not sure if it's consensus but there was this notion that there were six or seven guys in this class better than anyone in the last class which I think is not true obviously now but how do you sort of uh, stack these guys up especially those top three guys against the uh, the recent classes 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it definitely felt that way before. Like, like Mobley's had a, Mobley had a, a subpar senior year um, in, in high school, um, which like is to be expected because like, I mean, who exactly is supposed to stop him in high school um, playing in a public school ball in California. And uh, Cade had huge shooting question marks. So like last year, I was like, oh yeah, there's this, you know, with this broad swath and those two, and then also Jalen Green elevated themselves dramatically. And I think that I would say that Cade and Mobley would both have gone one last year. Um, and then like Green and Mello would probably be in the same tier of guys. Um, I mean, like we're assuming that like it's a year where Cat didn't say like uh, I want Anthony Edwards. Right? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in a in a in a tier without you know like the political context of, of the NBA. Um, yeah, I think that that's where I would be, and then I don't know where I would have Ant slotted. Ant would probably be like somewhere in that like five six seven tier i think there are guys that i like more than ant in this draft below those three but like um i think jalen is a is a better version of that archetype um with with better uh indicators for for long-term development yeah it's interesting uh you know that's yeah, last year's class I think is looking better at the top than most thought, other than other than the Wiseman thing, which we can leave on the side. But um, I think you know Melo being as good as he was in year one, and Edwards having the kind of close that he had, that's looking pretty good compared to where um, a couple people were anyway last year. Um, other thing that was I wanted to get to quickly here, um, you know, you didn't we haven't really talked about Suggs, and also there's the uh, even if you were to slot Suggs at four, there's the drop off at five for most people. Like Kaminga was there and kind of probably still is in terms of if you tried to put a consensus mock draft together, he is usually the guy you see at five. But do you like is Suggs four for you? And if he's not, who is? <laughs> uh, are we talking like team specific? Because like I really so I it's really that close for you basically. It's teams. yeah. It, it, for me, it's it's not even about tiers. It's that like if you believe that you can develop shooting in an outsized perspective, you probably take Scotty or Jalen Johnson four. Um, if you believe that like, or, or even Josh Giddy, who, who fits in that same sort of idea, if you believe that like you want value over everything and that like you have a team that's broadly constructed, I would probably have like Franz or Moses Moody or Jaden Springer in the top five. Like there are, my concern with Sugg specifically is that like, I do not see him as a primary and he's like exclusively a secondary, uh, playmaker who like is a broad connector of, of good things going on. I don't really see like. The Warriors are, are probably the best fit in that top seven for that idea. But, like, my concern is that the teams that, as they are currently aligned, and, like, I do assume that there is going to be movement into the top five, that, like, a connector isn't truly valuable in those circumstances. And, like, generally taking connectors super high without pieces to connect to and, like, a, a sense for fit, like, it, you're never going to get the value that's commensurate with their talent. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Suggs... I like Suggs, but I tend to agree that his his on-ball primary stuff is a little bit overblown on some level. And um, I mean, I guess the the Raptors have four right now. What would you do if you if you if they made you stand there at four and make a pick as Toronto? What would you do? That is a that is a brutal question. I know it um, is. That's why I asked it. I'm sorry. I know. Um, are we assuming that Kyle Lowry stays? I guess yeah. That, I guess it's kind of interconnected, isn't it? I mean, because honestly. I, I kind of like Suggs in Toronto if Lowry's not there because, you know, him and Van Vliet and the pieces they have, like, they they could do worse than Suggs. But if you have Lowry and you've just paid him probably what is going to be a multi-year big money deal, are you going to turn around and draft another guard at four? I don't know. So, good question. Yeah, 
it is <laughs> like that's the thing is like if you told like usually in a draft you get like one or two inflection points right like you have uh, you know what is Charlotte going to do you know you have uh, you know like I guess last year like what is uh, what are the Warriors going to do like okay this draft hinges on these two points this draft every single pick. <laughs> After like two, not even considering trades, as part of like, well, I mean, they could do a lot of things. They can move in a lot of different directions. Like you're, we're talking about the wires at seven. Like, the is the Steph Corp thing for two years real, or, or is this a circumstance where you take the guy with the highest value, or do you just flip the pick itself and, and try to move on or move up into you know, hey, can we get two? Can we get three? You know, what is Wiseman fetching the up market? Like, this is going to be a draft of madness, and that's why I think. Uh, it's not because I'm a coward, though I am, um, that I don't rank these players, you know, in, in terms of a, 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 broad, uh, a broad board. It's that, like, if you're the Warriors, your your um, priorities determine how your big board looks. And since, like, I don't have particular insight into that, depending on their pick, um, you can only do the best and be like, all right, so if you're on this top line, here's the top five I would have. And if you're on this timeline, here's the top five. But if you're doing neither, like, I, I don't really know how to help you. Um, I also <laughs> seem to think that they've sort of been doing neither. But hey. No, I, I think that uh, it's actually a great point on terms of just like broad draft approach just because, you know, it's always fun or maybe not fun, but it's common to have a, you know, board one through 50 or one through 100. And it's an interesting exercise, but more practically, I think your approach makes more sense in that, you know, nothing is firm. Like there are lots of situations where you wouldn't take the guy you have at nine over the guy you have at 10 based on team. And I think it, you know, tiering is also helpful as an exercise. I think that's uh, a better way to do it than just, you know, rank, ranking one through thirty or whatever you want to do. But I think your your approach, even though it's not sexy, is one that I, I do appreciate. In that, uh, it does. There are all these kind of decisions you have to answer. And you know, the Hawks are one where we'll get into this later on. But they're one. They have they're lower stakes questions than like you know, changing your core with Kyle Lowry, but like maybe the John Collins decision impacts their pick at 20, or maybe their long-term plan of backup point guard impacts their pick at 20. Like 20 is not as sexy as number four overall, but uh, it's hard to make a board quote unquote for the Hawks right now without answering other questions. Yeah. And we did this exercise, you know, where we made quadrants last time I was on here. Um, and like the, you can sort of do the same thing this year where it's like how, 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 how rare do you think a backup point guard is? Like, if you think it's not, then, you know, you're just drafting for, for best player available. If you do think it's rare, then, like, you kind of have to figure out what you have in this draft and, like, spoiler alert, this draft does not have a lot of what I would say are, like, true backup point guards in the sort of roster construction that the Hawks are looking at. Um, and then it's like, okay, if you're keeping John Collins, like, you probably defer to, to best player available again. If you're not, like, with this draft has a whole bunch of fours. Like, you could really take a swing on a number of different archetypes of fours depending, depending on how you evaluate, so, like, Kevin Herter's ability to handle the ball, Cam Reddish's ability to shoot, you know, and, and how much usage you believe you can have in the future. Like, this is, you say 20 is not, you know, the, the sexiest pick, but it's going to be a fascinating one just yep. for the, you know, the uh, decision-making tree that is going to be required to get to the stage to call a name at 20. I, I totally agree. It is not going to be as simple as many, and I understand why they're doing this, but I'll, I would say most of the mocks to this point that I have seen are basically just pick your highest rated backcourt player and say that player is going to the Hawks. And I get why that's happening. I really do because that's the only spot on the whole roster right now for Atlanta that's not uh, set if they bring back John Collins is backup point guard. It's just not as simple as that, which I think we all probably acknowledge, but uh, we'll get into that more 
in a second. Um, I do want to ask you about some second round guys, which is less sexy, but I, I think it's interesting as well. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, PD, uh, let's get in the second round now, get, get it out of the way, because the Hawks pick at 48, and trying to tell you who's going to be available at 48 is a fool's errand. I have no idea. But uh, wh- I guess there's a way to get into this. Do you see, like, a strength of this class in that range? Like, is there are there a bunch of, you know, positional – if there's uh, something that you're looking for, what, what can you find at 48? Like, I, I know for one example, like, there's a lot of – uh, combo guard types, guard types in that first round range where the Hawks are, but like, what's the second round archetype if there if there is one that should be available for them? I think that you kind of have the choice between like four scorer. So like the the, the true strength of this draft is that like this three four combo forward position where you have a lot of guys who can handle the ball a little bit. You have a lot of guys who are you know maybe high ceiling but are either too young or or not put together enough to 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 warrant being you know top fifteen picks. And then you have guys who can shoot, but maybe lack a little bit of the connecting skills. Um, so this is not particularly helpful to the Hawks roster, uh, who have uh, wings a million. Um, and I think that, like, unless there is a drastic move on John Collins, uh, you know, away from him and, and maybe pivoting elsewhere, this wouldn't be a, a place where you would want that replacement to come. Like, the, at 40, generally the draft is considered to kind of cut off at 45. Yeah. Like, you have players who are drafted and are meaningful from 46 to 50. But a lot of times these are players who either have agreed to discounted contracts, um, have, uh, you know, agreed to play like a G league to not take a roster spot. Two, way, like two ways for sure. Like yeah. last year, the Hawks, I'm not sure it was like this clear, but the scholar maze pick, it was very clear within hours of the draft. That was going to be a two way. Um, yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that happens. And, and, and they like scholar maze, but like that's the kind of negotiation that happens behind the scenes in the second round late yeah so i think that like it it, it can sort of seem strange that 25 percent of the draft is sort of used on like doing other types of gming where it's like well i I need two guards for next year i don't those are guard we like but maybe don't love if we can get him on a two-way then he you know we can build him towards the future but these two roster spots i'm going to use on guys who can probably contribute on the roster and like that's essentially how the back of the draft works like this this back 25 percent is is sort of filling is doing larger strategic positioning um for other elements of, of the gm job so i would say looking in the 40s you sort of have uh the, you know after this this 45 spot um you could like take some interesting swings on like bigs um ariel Porty is a is a name that uh is like a a a raw big who spent his draft year like more on the perimeter, uh, seven foot, 
um, you know, seven, three wingspan. Uh, he's a German national, but he tried to expand his game in a draft year rather than like really uh, doing the thing that he specialized at. And I think that if you wanted to say like, okay, let's, we're a playoff team, so we can take, you know, we, we have a, a proper development staff. We have our, our coaching staff in place. Like, let's take a player who we can sort of mold and see if this turns into a value contract in the long term because second round contracts do have a different contract structure. Um, and then, like, on the other end, you could go for, like, an older guy. Um, you know, this would be potentially, like, I think Joe Wieskamp will still be there at 45 he's he is on my list uh as an option also i i almost just cut you off and told you to say my uh my favorite prospect's name out loud and that's of course it's isaiah livers go blue yeah okay yeah just um, saying I, mean, I, I, I i am not i am not unbiased let's just say on isaiah livers oh, it's it's once you're in the second round it's more like that deep in the second round sometimes you just get a feeling about a guy <laughs> and like it, the margin for error is so high that no one ever can really call you on it. So if you're just sure. like, yeah, just yeah, if you're just like, I just love Isaiah Livers tape. People might not notice. You'd, you'd probably be good for a while. Yeah, I mean, they'd uh, probably figure it out. Given my other, uh, my other, uh, I, I would say uh, preferences, that it was probably because he went to Michigan. But hey, uh, Joe Wieskamp did not. He's 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 elsewhere in the Big Ten. I have no I have no allegiance to what Joe Wieskamp. I, I I do like him a lot though. I think he's an interesting prospect. Yeah. Um. So so Wieskamp's a a, a big combine riser. Um, you know, the combine comes with its own, um, uh, propaganda campaign. Like if you do really well, oh, always. Be, yeah, like, <laughs> always. It, it should also be noted. Like, I'm not saying that Joe Weeskamp did this specifically, but there is a, a strategy of scrunching your arms when you're doing standing reach and then jumping normally. And it makes you jump. It makes suddenly makes your vertical three or four inches higher. Well, and, um, and also the combine, you know, occasionally the combine bump guys are, are real. Like Kev, Kevin Herter was a famous combine riser that actually was real. Like Kevin Herter, yeah. people were like, oh, God, Kevin Herter can play. And he kind of clearly rose during the combine process. So it's not always fake. It's, it's no, just no. worth knowing. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. There's always a guy or two or three that are like suddenly 20 spots higher and everybody's bored after the combine. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a, a part of the draft cycle. Where you can play a certain way in your season, and then like sometimes you know, you have guys like EJ Ona who didn't have as many eyes, and he you know tests you know as a just a jimongous person who who played at a, I believe at an AI level, and people are going to go back to the tape, and and maybe you know with that second look there's a, a resulting bump where it's like oh actually you know now seeing what these tools look like and, and seeing how he's performing at this level maybe you know he's a 60 overall versus like an 80, and like that's a meaningful difference. Um, Wieskamp is is a shooter. Um, like that's, that's the, the, the complete of it. Like he, he does other things, but like he redrafted this spot because he can knock down shots. Um, yeah, it's like a plus four wingspan. Um, you know, not, not a smaller guy. He, he can shoot off movement, um, uh, which is going to be important for just, uh, the level of, of off ball movement you want to surround Trey with long-term, um, just having guys shake and, and, and shoot from distance. Um, we can't. Like in in college, the concern is that you just didn't have as so much uh, on ball juice. But with the, with how many playmakers are on the court, like I mean, Atlantic frequently closed with four. You having one less playmaker isn't a meaningful difference. This isn't a situation where one guy you know touches the ball for eighty percent of the game, and and you know like it's not a hardened situation. Um, so I think having multiple playmakers would reduce the the concern about the the free throw rate. Um, I don't know if I wouldn't suggest taking a point guard this late. Like in, in the in the late forties, if you wanted to, um, I would say that like if if the Hawks have a, a belief in their shooting coaches and wanted like a, a what I would say is like a prototypical backup point guard, 
Um, Dacian Nyx of the G League Knight is probably the closest thing you're going to get. Um, big bodied guard. He uh, like put on a lot of upper body weight to deal with playing adults. Um, and it, it negatively impacted explosiveness with the free draft cycle. Uh, you know, uh, much more redistributed, looking a lot bouncier. Um, passing uh, and playing fast was always the uh, the appeal with him. The jumper needs a rework, but there's a, a number of really positive things there. Um, with a you know big body finishes, you know smart smart reader of the floor would just be a guy who like he's not going to contribute to a playoff team, but the idea that like he he's the person you plug into bench minutes and it makes the other parts make sense. Obviously, with your backup point guard, you want shooting, and that would just have to be a developmental thing. And, you know, at this stage, the question of, of whether guys will want to be drafted is important because I get 46 guys can't ask like or, or, you know, after 45 people be like, I don't want to be drafted. I would like to be an undrafted yeah. free agent and pick my spot. It happens all the time, uh, which people I think always forget. I mean, not just not people like us, but like more, you know, casual fans that just follow one team. It's like, no, the second round, the second back half of the second round is truly uh, uh, what's even the word for it? Um a, it's a marketplace of ideas. Sure, yes, that's a good way to put it. It's it could be anything. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, especially when I was younger, didn't know any better of like being outraged at a guy going before another guy, and it's like, well, there's probably a reason in the second round somewhere, or, and it doesn't mean it's a good reason, but sometimes those guys don't want to be picked, and uh, like I might have my favorite prospect, like if for some reason, I don't know. We'll, we'll just use Isaiah Livers or whoever. Aaron Henry, like another guy I like. If he's somehow still there at 48 and they don't take him and he ends up going undrafted, it's probably because he wanted to go undrafted. I don't know. It's just interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are privy to some but not all medical information. That too. So, like, like you know, there are players who maybe one medical staff will clear and another won't. And we don't generally get that until a player is in the NBA immediate, or, or for a number of years. And, they, you know, if they feel like it's safe to, you know, discuss this thing, stuff publicly. I mean, we're probably not going to talk about it. Um, uh, Jared Butler, but the, his um, his medical concerns like uh, are both like a, a real concern, but also like are a team by team variant and, and also a league like a league decision. So yep. there is a point guard who you know conceivably could have, have helped the Hawks, but you know let's hope is is able to to play in the NBA and is able to be drafted and is is cleared by both the league and teams. Yeah, I mean Jared Butler would would be if you just told me right now today that his medical was clean and. Um, he'd be on the list at 20 in terms of guys to consider. But, uh, you know, that's uh, just for reference. People don't know that he was he was not cleared to participate at the combine by the league. The league flagged his medical. So that becomes a if the league says no, the league says no. And you're just you're kind of in this holding pattern. So anyway, um, do you have any like genuine sleepers, like not just like, you know, draft sleepers, but actually like guys that no one's talking about or that you think are you know, first round talents that might go this as late as the Hawks have in the second round, like guys who are truly off the radar versus the, the typical, like for instance, Josh Primo, no longer a sleeper, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, guys, guys like that, that, that haven't quite caught on. Like, you know, we skip's a good example of that, I guess, but he, he's already, he's also been rising a little bit. Anybody else that you like that like should be on the radar that probably isn't right now. Yeah. I, I would say like, I'll give three names and one that's probably like on the radar, but like there's there's a, a larger question mark. So like the first one's Isaiah Todd. Um, Isaiah Todd is uh, uh, a, you know a five star went to the G League night route two G League guys in the in the spot. Um, high level shooter for his size. Um, projects as like a real shooter off movement in the league. Um, he shot, yeah. Uh, he's uh, like. He's sort of that like offensive four, but I think in time he like his his big concern was that he just like wasn't strong enough to get fouled uh, in the G League. So he had like a he a, also he also is is willing to shoot 
we'll say. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like I, I think that that's really important for like playing on for being a young guy. Like if you want to have a young guy who contributes even in any capacity on a good team, knowing the shots that they like and being unafraid to take them is an important psychological profile. Um, like this is a, a Warriors thing was like they would if you go back and watch Warriors tape, like David West takes catch and shoot 16 footers all the time and they're super happy with it. It's like, yeah, it's a wide open shot. We don't want him to pass up good shots. He's unafraid to take them and they'll go. And like, well, it's not the sexiest thing in the world. Like that's certainly like he will take those catch and shoot 16 footers when people, you know, if you double tray on a on a high ball screen, he'll catch it at 16 and it'll go. You can he will shoot at range, especially in time. Um I think an, an interesting player at 45, especially or, or uh, past 45, and um, and certainly a guy who has like real upside, um, uh, and especially as he uh, develops strength. Um, the next one is my personal favorite. Um, it's somebody that I would have taken in the first round last year. Uh, I did not come out and then had a, a struggle as a uh, uh, in in the 2020-21 season, and that's Romeo Weems. Ooh, okay. Uh, uh, I Romeo Williams to me is one of the best defenders in this draft. Um, if like Aaron Henry is gone, um, Romeo Williams is of it, and Romeo Williams is available. I would take Romeo Williams. Um, sort of a do it all, uh, long arm forward. Um, he can slide between multiple defensive positions and has really good defensive instincts. Um, the jumper needs a rework. Um, he was cast as a primary ball handler. He was a, like a Mr. Basketball twice in Chicago, but he, in, in, he re- rejected like Power Five programs and, and went to DePaul. Um, so he was an, an on-ball guy, and it's not a role he's really suited to. Um, so true shooting low, uh, three-point rate okay. He, he shot 36%, but he just doesn't take them enough, and, and doesn't take them, you know, the ones that are open for for the particular role he was cast in. Um, this would be another like big swing um, that that I think. Uh, could pay off considering especially the, the Hawks development track record. Um, one who probably won't be there. Uh, Joel Ayai. Yeah. Uh, I like, uh, him. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um, I think if you're thinking like, what is like, I, I don't want to, he's one of the least sexy picks in the draft, but also he's one of the people who I'm like most just like, well, a hundred percent be a positive player for a playoff team for multiple years. Uh, he is one of the best cutters in the draft, knockdown shooter can defend, you know, I would say two and a half positions in the league uh, fits on a team, makes smart passes. Like uh, if you are looking for a player at 45 who could make an impact on a playoff team, like immediately uh, a guy who would probably be the one I would choose. Yeah, he um, is. Uh, he was, uh, he was on my, on my list as well. I I'm with you. I think somebody's going to look at him and take him in the 30s somewhere and that, and he should go probably there or maybe even a little bit higher than that. I like him a lot, but yeah, I mean, he, he might be my like, ultimate home run at with the Hawks second round pick 48. Like I don't think he's gonna get there, but uh see role player stuff, man. Like he he just does role player stuff that I, I really enjoy. I get I get made fun of I'm sure you know this, but Hawks fans make fun of me because I, I really like role players a lot. I always have. Uh he does role player stuff very well. Again, role players not particularly valuable to bad teams, but But hey the Hawks yeah. are good. The Hawks are good now, BD. They're, they're, they're good. And and like it's time. I think that well, a thing that I think that we both know is that NBA teams feel similarly. Yes. And they often will take swings on guys. They're like, I actually, you know, this guy could, he could average 22 in the league. Like, yeah, he could also average two and a half, but like, that's not the point. There's no, like that range of outcomes is thinner for Yai. And I think that there is a chance that he slides just because like teams aren't going to be as in love with the idea of him. 
And this happens every single year where a guy falls 10 spots from like what draft range probably considers just because like there were more enthralling ideas present. And oh, what is not a, a playoff team, but guys keep slipping. How many times have it been like the Spurs shouldn't have been allowed to have this dude? Because the idea of them just wasn't, you know, attractive. Maybe he built a 31 or 34 or whatever. Yep, it's going to happen, I'm sure, in this in this class as well. Um, and then um, I have one last. I have one last. Oh like, yeah, one. I have one last one that like sort of fits an idea that we were talking about earlier. But like, okay, I would say the player with the widest range in this draft class is Jason Preston. I, 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 I honestly, when you said that name, I double take, like, didn't he pull out? But no, I remember now he stayed in. So, yeah, he uh, stayed in. interesting. So, like, Jason Preston was a, uh, I would say, like, one of the stars of this year's college basketball. Uh, six, four. Like, he's, he's a point guard, but he's got, like, a plus five wingspan. Um, he's a wing in the league, but, you know, uh, ball skills, uh, good passing reads. The, the issue is that he's just not, like, athletic enough to be any kind of, like, primary. He's probably a, a tertiary or just, like, a connector at the next level. Um, the athleticism, you know, it just is lacking enough that it keeps his his broad statistical profile down. Um, he just didn't get fouled even in college at, like, a 20% free throw rate, um, despite playing in, I think, the MAC um, concerning. And you'll just find different levels of belief in the shooting. You know, he shot 39%, but only four attempts per 36 minutes, which when the ball is in your hand is, is in your hand all the time in a heliocentric role is not um, like inspiring in your own faith in the jumper. Um, so if you told me that he got drafted at 23, I would believe you. If you told me he got drafted at 55, I would believe you. There is a broad opinion. And if you wanted to say like, okay, is this a backup point guard potentially for the Hawks? Like in a world where there's like, you want those second units to have more Kevin Herter ball handling. I would say, yeah, if you believe in the shooting, like that's a good fit. So that's my, that's my wild card. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't not like, you know, because like if EI slips, we will say it's malfeasance. I think we can both agree on that. If, if Preston slips, is just a, a broad difference of opinion, evaluate, evaluator by evaluator. Um, uh, and, Hawks could be a beneficiary potentially. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. And obviously, we could, we talk about number of names, and I'm not going to make you do, go through all the second round guys, but that's a pretty good, I think, primer. And uh, I'm sure I'll get into some other guys as we get through this process. All right, P, we're going to go to part two now and talk about the uh, the first round pick more often on that particular podcast. But uh, I'll just say thank you for coming on this part one edition, and I'll tell people where they, where they can find your work as well. Uh, I guess. I'll let you do that right now before we get to part two. Where can they find your stuff, PD? Um, yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Above the Break Three. Um, I uh, have been, or I have a, a Patreon where everything is free. If you can support it with a couple books, it'd be appreciated. This cycle, I have done a little bit less writing. I still have stuff coming out, but I've focused more on um, uh, using YouTube as a platform to, to talk about how to break down film and what uh, people are seeing. So every week or you know, bi-weekly now that we're close to the draft, I've been doing a uh, a let's watch film for a prospect where me and 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 a guest um, break down a single uh, game from a prospect and talk about what we see, areas to improve. Um, you know how we're evaluating. Uh, it, it's it's been a great time. Yeah, I've been watching those. I recommend those at the highest level, and uh, we will talk PDI, and, and we'll be talking more. Let's just say this podcast uh, part two will be up uh, in the next day, so stay tuned for that, and we'll see you then.